Welcome to Grace Community Church On Demand, the weekly podcast from the Sunday services at Grace Community Church in Rupert, Idaho. Here at Grace, we believe in building the kingdom of God one person at a time. We're passionate about loving God, loving people, and following Jesus. Let's get into this week's message with Pastor Travis Turner. He was our speaker at the men's uh, advance this weekend. Uh, John has been serving in full-time ministry for over 20 years in 11 different countries on four continents. His relationship with the outdoors began during hunting and fishing trips with his father as a child in Oregon and was further fueled by experience and training through the Boy Scouts, the University of Oregon, and the United States Army Reserve, where he served in spec ops and psychological warfare. So he will mess with you. He has come to have a deep understanding of the spiritual impact the outdoors offers in the life of Christ's followers. And sharing his passion for Jesus through outdoor adventure is the hallmark of his ministry. He resides in Joplin, Missouri, where he adventures often and continues to challenge people to look past creation to see and know more fully the creator who provided it. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my privilege to introduce one of my best friends on the planet, for 30 years, John Smith. Good morning, Grace. It is good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Uh, I, I uh, don't deserve any kind of uh, introduction like that. Uh, when Dave met me, I was absolutely clueless chasing the girls in Marsha's Bible study. and. Um, you know, it's, it's funny, uh, even then, he, he was weird. Uh, you know, back, back then, uh, he, was just, he was just Dave, that guy that's uh, hanging out with Marsha, uh, and, and now he's Dr. Dave. He was a redneck then, he's a redneck now. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Um, seriously, though, I, I need to say a big thank you to Dave and to Travis for bringing me in this morning. Uh, it, it's been a blessing to be here. Serving with the, the Men of Grace this weekend uh, was, I think, far more, far more of a blessing to me than it, it possibly could have been to them. Uh, we had a good time together. Uh, we talked about what it's like to be in the wilderness, uh, what it's like to be in nature, how creation speaks to us. It feeds our souls in many ways but sometimes it's difficult to understand what exactly it's saying. Uh, we looked at, at case studies like Elijah and Naaman and Jesus, and we saw how in their lives uh, they walked in the wilderness and, and we can receive lessons from how they handled those experiences, and we looked at what some of those lessons are. We talked about the fact that the Bible begins in a garden, it ends in a city, and everything in between is a journey in the wilderness. And, and that really hasn't changed in our lives today. We live in a fallen world, and every day we experience difficulties that challenge us. And the challenge is, what do we do with those things? Moses went to the wilderness, David went to the wilderness, John the Baptist ministered in the wilderness. In the Bible, the, the word wilderness is, is midbar in Hebrew. It's translated sometimes as desert, and it just means a desolate place. How many of us can say that we've been in a desolate place in our lives? And that's why I enjoy 
studying and learning from nature and how these men throughout scripture handled the wilderness experiences physically and metaphorically in their lives. They help us understand what to do when someone passes away in an untimely manner. What to do when the house burns down, when the promotion at work never comes, or worse, the job is terminated. What to do when the doctor says the tests are back and it doesn't look good. Or when you come home and find that your spouse wants a separation. These are real wilderness moments. What do you do when life hits you from the blind side so hard that you just don't know how to get up? That's what I want to, I want to look at that today. I want to begin to to unwrap a little bit about how we can handle those experiences in a way uh, that will keep us going. Uh, And uh, in answering that question, I, I think it's important for us to remember there are right ways and wrong ways to handle the difficult times in life. There are ways that we can delay, prevent, and minimize the impact of those blindside moments that might otherwise leave us feeling miserable, isolated, angry, anxious, and alone. So let's dig in a little bit, shall we? I want you to walk back with me to 2018, not that long ago. uh, I was backpacking with some friends. We went to Rocky Mountain National Park, and we were going to climb Long's Peak. Long's Peak is a 14,259-foot mountain. Uh, We weren't going to do it all at once. We went into a place called the Boulder Field. It's my absolute favorite place on earth to camp. Uh, It is just exactly what it sounds like, a field of boulders. But that that field sits over 12,500 feet, over 1,000 feet above tree line. And we we came in. I had my son with me. Uh, I had one of my best friends with me. And uh, we set up camp and decided this is going to be a great time. We even took the time to to go out and, and climb a nearby peak that's not quite as tall. Uh, and just, just came back that night exhilarated, excited about what the morning might hold. But as we went to bed, it started to rain and, and sleet and hail. And what, what struck me is in the middle of the night, I woke up and I was in my warm sleeping bag inside my tent and the tent was kind of billowing about as the wind was ripping through and, and, uh, And I thought back to this moment earlier when I had driven the tent stakes as deeply as I could and then covered them with rocks because I just had an idea that it's important to drive these deep for moments like this. And when I got up the next morning, I checked with my son, I checked with my friend, his name is John also. I said, how'd you guys sleep last night? I, I had the best night I think I've ever had in the wilderness. It was awesome. I love just listening to the sleep and feeling and knowing I'm dry, I'm warm. This is great. And they, they were haggard, tired, beaten. I said, what happened to you guys? I said, well, our tent stakes all came out. In the middle of the night, we had to get out in the, in the hail. It took us, we're, out there, we're getting wet, we're getting rained on trying to figure out where to, how to drive the stake. How do I, it's a boulder field. How do you drive a stake in a boulder field? How do you get that? How do you do what? 
They had a miserable night, just trying to keep their tent up. So the phrase that I want you to remember this morning when we talk about these tent stake principles that will anchor our faith in the storm is that you need to drive them deep and check them often. Drive them deep and check them often. Because there are a number of principles. I'm going to bring out eight this morning. Don't worry. They'll be quick, I promise. Although, technically, Travis didn't give me a time. I guess I could just go on. I've been in churches where they tie that to the, the offering. There's, there's, a, there's a $100 sermon, which, which lasts like 20 minutes, and then there's a $500 sermon, but that one lasts for hours. Uh, and, uh, oh, no, wait, I screwed that up. I got that backwards. I got it backwards. I can't tell a joke. What am I going to do? Anyway, let's look at these tent stake principles, shall we? These are tent stake principles that are going to help us stake down the tent and keep our faith strong in the storm. All right, the first one I want to give you is just this. Listen attentively. Listen attentively. Psalm 119 verse 11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I've stored up your word in my heart. You know, you can't pour water from an empty jug. And when the spirit inside you, in the middle of the storm, wants to bring something out that's not there, what do you do? I had this experience. I was telling the guys this weekend. I shared this story with them. I was going through an airport in Baltimore years ago. Well, we weren't even supposed to be in Baltimore. The plane had to make an emergency landing for some other circumstances. They let somebody on. They let somebody on the plane that wasn't even supposed to be there. I don't know how you do that in this day and age, but. And they did, so we had to make this emergency landing, and we were going to miss our next flight. We hadn't seen our kids in two weeks, and we didn't know if the sitters could watch them. And we're just kind of, you know, panicking as parents. Uh, we weren't handling it very well, but uh, I remember the supervisor that we were talking to in the airport as we were trying to make a, a, a new connection was extremely rude. He was obnoxious uh, and, uh, and, you know, basically just told us, you know, you're idiots and you really have no hope. And, uh, but he, but they, they found... Uh, his assistant found a flight and so she said I don't know if you're going to make it but you don't have to run and so we were running through the airport and you know when you're running you get your backpack on and your water bottle's flapping up over your shoulder and you know you've got your shoes back here because you cleared security but you haven't put your shoes back on because you've got to get to that gate and and as we're running I can I can in my mind I'm literally praying curses on the airline I'm I'm praying that the pilots will strike uh, I'm praying that that God will bring judgment upon them uh, I, literally, this is what I'm, was going through my head. And, uh, and I can hear my wife beside me, and she's praying scripture. And she's quoting scripture because she's taken the time to hide it in her heart, and I hadn't. And so in this moment of stress and anxiety, when we're ready to hit the panic button, the Holy Spirit was able to bring that back out in her and give her peace. And I am wrapped up in my anger, accomplishing nothing. Listen attentively. Schedule time alone with God. It was good enough for Jesus. Maybe it's good enough for us. Reading and hearing God's word. We have more access to the word of God today than any time in history. You have it on your phone. You have it in your car. You have it on your computer. It's not hard to have the word of God with you. 
tape verses on the mirror. I was at Dave and Marsh's house last night, and in fact, there is a, mirror, a verse taped next to the mirror in, the, in the, the guest bath. Somebody's been hiding God's word in their heart. Meditation for me is a big one. Psalm 77, 12 says, I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. I know when we think of scriptural meditation, uh, when we, the idea of meditation for a lot of Christians brings back some Eastern philosophies where you're emptying your mind and you're sitting there with your legs crossed and your hands out and you're saying your ohms. But that's not at all what, what the author of Psalms is talking about when, he, when that psalm was written. He's talking about filling your mind with the word of God. Take that time. Take it on the drive to work. Those, those, I, when I teach this to students, I tell them to look for the cracks in your schedule. The five minutes here, the little three minutes there that you have waiting in line somewhere to bring back a verse that maybe you're just considering, meditating on, thinking about. How does this apply to my life? What does this really mean? Ask yourself questions about it. Ponder it in your heart. Take the time to listen attentively. The second principle that I would bring out is to pray consistently. Pray consistently. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 18 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. The context of this praying consistently is thanksgiving When we are willing to give thanks, when we make a habit of thankfulness, it changes us. It makes it easier to remember the good things that God has blessed us with. Pray through the Psalms if you get stuck. It's an easy thing to do. When I teach this to students, I like to open my Bible randomly to a Psalm and begin to just pray through it in front of them. It's easy. Just open your Bible to any psalm you want and just begin to talk to God as you read it. Another simple way to, to change your prayer life, because let's be honest, in our prayer lives, if we're, if we're going to be honest with ourselves, most of the time we just ask, right? I mean, isn't that how, how it often works? Um, he's, he is Father God and we are his children and we just ask and ask and ask and ask and there is nothing wrong with that. The Bible tells you to do it. But it doesn't stop there. Something I learned, and it may in fact have been Marsha Miller, for all I know, who taught me, is the prayer of acts. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Simple acronym. Adoration. Give praise to God for who he is. Lord, you are the mighty God. Awesome in power and wonder. Wow. Confessions. Lord, I, I need you to, I have, I have not been who I'm supposed to be. Lord, I failed over here. I, I am thinking, I'm struggling right now, God. I just lay it out for him. Thanksgiving. Thank you. I thank you that I woke up this morning with a roof over my head and a warm bed. I thank you that I have people in my life who love me. I thank you for all the many ways you bless me, Lord. And supplication, and that's the ask. But you just take a moment to pray through the word. And it can change the way that you pray. And it makes it so much easier when we think about what it means to pray consistently. 
to pray, pray continually in our lives. Listen attentively, pray consistently. Third, fellowship purposefully. Fellowship purposefully. In Hebrews 10, 23 through 25, it says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And if we unpack this verse, this is often used for just, you know, like, hey, show up, you need to go to church. Let us not give up meeting together. We talk about this with fellowship and the idea of just gathering together. But there's a difference between gathering together and just having fun, sitting in front of the TV, hanging out with your family, your friends. Like, that's great, but that's not really what this verse is talking about. Look at the things that he says. How does he, he says, let us consider, consider, be thoughtful in the way that we gather, how to stir one another up to love and good works. Yes, not neglecting to meet together. We are supposed to be meeting. And we're also supposed to be, while we're meeting, encouraging each other. So as we fellowship with one another, be intentional in the way that we do it. Be purposeful about it. That's why this weekend was so great. We gathered as men, and yeah, we shot guns, and we hiked, and we did good guy stuff together. And, but we were purposeful about that meeting, that gathering together. We also took time to make sure that good conversation was happening. And by good conversation, I mean hard conversation. Where we're asking each other and talking to each other about real difficult things in life, what we're actually going through, what we are learning as we, as we move through the weekend, that's intentional. That's the kind of fellowship that we need in our lives. Whether it's a gathering of men to advance, whether it's a group of women, whether it's any, any group of people in the church, be intentional. Be purposeful about it. Fourth, worship passionately. And I'll be honest, I, I am Baptist. We are the frozen chosen, okay? <laughs> we, we stand there, and um, I, I, I love worshiping with you guys this morning. You guys did a great job. Uh, the worship team, where you guys are at, you were awesome. Um, much more fervent... <laughs> much more passionate than I, I am used to on a Sunday morning. And I loved it. Um, I'm not a very good Baptist, uh, but <laughs> if we're just going to be honest with each other, uh, I'm not a really good Baptist because I, 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 I dig it, right? Um, I'm one of the few Baptists who actually will raise a hand sometimes in church. Uh, and not just because they're like, hey, who wants coffee? Um, <laughs> the... Uh, yeah, no, we, we, are, we are supposed to be worshiping passionately. Uh, look, it, it, Psalm, let me just read Psalm 150 for you for a minute. It says, praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with a trumpet sound. Praise him with a lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with a loud crashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That's the kind of worship that we need in our lives. I was talking to the guys this weekend. Another thing that I told them was, like, look, in, in, in the temple, in the Old Testament, when this was written, worship was multi-sensory. It was not simple. It, they didn't just have a band. Like some, it, in the church that I go to, we actually have a smoke machine, fog machine. I don't know what they call it. And, I, and, it, and some people get all bent out of shape about it. Um, like, what is this, a rock concert? Come on. And, and my answer is always like, look, 
Read the Bible. It was very multi-sensory. I mean, there were animals out there, and you would smell the animals, and that always wasn't pleasant, but you'd smell the animals. You'd hear them bleating. There was, there was, there was the smell. There were the sights. There were, I mean, it was, it was crazy, man. It was all kinds of stuff going on out there. And then you read this, and you see, like, now that's music. This is a whole band getting after it. That's how we are called to worship the Lord. More than that, more than that, I'm going to speak to the men for just a second because everywhere I go, I call them out. Here's the deal, guys. If you want to lead your family, they need to see you in worship. And I don't mean like the frozen chosen. They need, you need to be opening your mouth and singing the words out loud. Make a joyful noise. I don't care if you're on key. Let your kids see you do it. You want your son to be a man of God one day? You want your daughter to respect that? Then show up for the worship service. And I mean show up. Don't just, don't just be there. Be involved. Be passionate in the way that you praise the Lord. Worship passionately. And share openly. Mark 16, 15 says, He said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Someone once, once wrote that our, our faith is meant to be personal, not private. And there is a difference. We have a personal relationship with God, but it is not called to be a private relationship with God. Our faith should be visible in the world around us. Someone, someone challenged me once. Uh, they said, if, if being a Christian was illegal, would there be enough evidence by watching your daily life to convict you? Uh, that, that honestly hit me pretty hard. I mean, I, I heard that 30 years ago, and it still rings with me today. I'm standing in line at the grocery store, minding my own business, looking at my phone, talking to the, the cashier, is there any evidence of faith in my life? Would anyone mistake me for a Christian? This, this, is, this is one of the things that I think is hard for us because sharing our faith is a challenge. You have to get outside yourself. You have to get outside your comfort zone. And the Bible tells us that, that there are people who, are, who have the gift of evangelism. I love those people. I'm not one of those people, but here's what I know having been in ministry, and one of the reasons I went into ministry was that I knew I would be accountable for this. The reality is, most of us think that evangelism means inviting somebody to church. And then, and then Tim can do the evangelism. Tim will share his faith. I just got to get him in the front door. But that's not really how it works. I mean, that, 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 can, that can happen. But the reality is that the Great Commission was written for all of us. Every one of us has the onus, the burden on our lives to share the gospel, to tell the people that we work with, that we go to school with, our classmates, our roommates, our friends, that Jesus is Lord. We cannot shy from the message. It's uncomfortable sometimes, yeah. But man, how much, 
more uncomfortable is it when you don't have the opportunity to tell them anymore? I had a friend a few years ago pass away. Uh, his name was Doug Lewick. Doug was a friend from birth. We were literally in the crib together at times. And Doug, before he passed, told his mother, I don't know if God exists or not. I knew Doug for over 40 years. And I have to ask myself, knowing that he is probably not in heaven, what did I do to tell him about Jesus? How hard did I try to keep my friend from hell? Don't let your friends, don't let your family suffer in eternity because today you had to get out of your comfort zone for five minutes and you're afraid that they might think of you differently because of it. Share openly. And give cheerfully. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7 says, the, the point is this. That makes it pretty obvious. The, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compassion, compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Acts 20, verse 35 says, It is better to give than receive. And I'll be honest, pastors hate talking about this, so I'm going to take just a second to do this on Travis's behalf. I have no problem. <laughs> no good. <laughs> it's like, I mean, it's, it's here. It's just right here. We are, called, we are called to give to the church. We are called to take from our paycheck and put it here. I mean, to just make it real simple, we could talk about all kinds of, you know, verses about this and that, and how do I know exactly what the, 10%, just 10%. You get $10, you take one, you put it in the plate. Or you, I don't know how you guys give online, you get whatever you do it. That's all it is. It's simple. And, and, and yet, we struggle. These verses get, get abused a lot. Um, there's a lot of people out there who, who, will, who will say things like, well, if you just give, give your seed money and, uh, and God will he'll return it to you tenfold. I am not telling you that God's going to give you anything back financially, but I'll tell you this. If you think that he won't bless you, then you have not read your Bible. Malachi 3, God says, test me on this. See if I don't bless you. When you give, you want, I mean, this is one of the few times in Scripture where there's a clear formula. If you'll just do this, I will bless you. Give and I'll bless you. You want a blessing from the Lord? You want Him to touch your life? Tithe. And then watch what happens in the church as the money is there to make sure that the staff is taken care of to make sure that the stage decorations can be changed, that there's, that there's money there when we want to serve in the community, when we want to reach out and, and go on a mission trip. We want to provide resources for people to do things 
we're going to share openly, boy, it makes it a lot easier when the church has the resources to help us do that. Some of us have been called to give a whole lot more. Some of you, that may be your primary ministry. Don't neglect to give cheerfully. Serve freely. 1 Peter 4.10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Giving not our money here, but our minutes. Using talents, education, experience, and training to lift one another up. Serve freely. God didn't leave you on earth after you got saved to piddle fart around. And I'm an expert on that. I'm good at piddle farting. You ask my wife, she'll tell you. God didn't leave us here to sit on the couch and watch TV and hang out. He didn't leave us here so that we could scroll for hours at a time. He left us here because we have a job to do. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Hmm. Not only do we have a job, but God has prepared the way before us. Like, I don't know about you, but if I'm going to walk anywhere, I want it to be where God has gone before me. That's, that's the place to be, right? So when the opportunity is there, and you got people up here in front of the church saying, we need people to teach Sunday school. We need people to, to man the doors and welcome people on the way in. We need somebody to help out in the cafe. We need people. Like, find your spot. I promise you, there are more than enough places in this church for every person in this room to serve and volunteer. And if there's not one for you, I promise they'll make one. Finally, walk worthily. Walk worthily. What does that mean? Well, Ephesians 4 says this, verses 1 through 3. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience. And, and here's the kicker. Bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Walking worthy of the call of God in our life means walking in unity together. Striving together to keep the main thing the main thing, and the main thing is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I was, I was this weekend talking with Travis, and um, I, we had, I had a breakthrough moment. Uh, I, I, was, I was talking to him about how I like to meditate on things, and, and uh, I was sharing about one of the things that I've been meditating on for a long time is, is, is Pando, this giant 106-acre aspen grove, and uh, the idea that, that aspen trees... Are, and you guys have so many aspens around here, right? And so you all know that what I'm talking about. The aspen trees are, when you see a grove of aspen, you're really only looking at one tree. They share the same roots. They have the same genetics. They are a, what's called a clonal organism, which means they are basically just all the same thing, one thing. And as I was talking to Travis, I was like, man, I've been meditating, trying to figure out that for a year. Like, what is, what is God trying to teach us through these aspen trees? I mean... And it just hit me like, for, for, and, and so I can stand up here today like I've known it the whole time, like unity. He's trying to show us unity. He's trying to say, hey, I want my children to get along. Act like an aspen. <laughs> let's, let's be together. 
You know, for some of us, that means learning how to keep our mouth shut. For some of us, that means learning how to show up. The idea is that, that we are all in this together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Let us be united. That is, that is the essence of unity, that we get along, that we learn how to do that. I've seen churches, I've seen churches split over the dumbest things. I serve an association of 45 churches in Joplin, Missouri, and I've seen some of them split over the, just the dumbest things. Which side of the room is the piano supposed to be on? The color of the carpet? People have left the church over the fact that we're getting rid of the pews and putting chairs in. Like, I don't like this style of worship. Well, get over it. Because we're here to give praise to Jesus. That music isn't for you, it's for him. Okay? This is how we are called to worship. There's nothing new in, in this list of things that we've been talking about. There's nothing groundbreaking. As we close today, um, I want to recognize it. It's just a series of principles that are, are basic to the Christian faith. But they're principles that guide us. They're tent pegs that need to be driven deeply. Because as we do these things, as we practice these things in our lives... As we, as we drive them into our hearts, they give us strength. They give us grace and enable us to withstand the storms of life. And we need to check them often because often we forget. Uh, the Bible is, it's interesting, the Bible is actually full of reminders. I and mean, you don't think of reminding as a principle, but... In Joshua chapter 4, they just crossed the Jordan River, and God calls the Israelites. He says, I need, I need every tribe to gather one big stone, and we're going to make a pile of rocks. This is going to be a memorial. It's a cairn. They make a cairn as a memorial to remind future generations that God did something for us right here. We need, he, he says, you need to be reminded of this. In Philippians 3, verse 1, it says, Paul's writing, he says, to write the same things to you is no trouble for me, and it is safe for you. What he's telling him is, I've already told you this once, but I'm telling you again, and it's not a problem. Peter says the same thing in 2 Peter chapter 1. Uh, he says, therefore, I intend always to remind you. He says, I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall the things that he's talking to them about. I'm reminding you of this. In Genesis chapter 9, this may be my favorite one, it's the rainbow. I've set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth when I bring clouds over the earth, and the bow is seen in the clouds. You will remember. No, it doesn't say you will remember. God says, I will remember. He sets his bow in the clouds, and we think of it as our reminder, but the Lord says, I, I will look at the bow, and I will remember. If God is saying he needs reminded, and I, I don't even want to theologically think about like, how that all works out, okay? But if God, if God is putting himself, setting himself a reminder, how are we doing? You drive those stakes deeply and you check them often. And as we do that in our lives, 
as, as we walk worthily, serve freely, give cheerfully, share openly, worship passionately, fellowship purposely, pray consistently, and listen attentively. See what God does when, with your relationship with him. See how you respond in the storm. I promise you'll sleep better. But here's the thing. None of this matters. None of this matters if you don't know Jesus. And so this morning, as we wrap up, I just want to issue this this challenge, this invitation. This opportunity to recognize that there is a time in each of our hearts when we need to come face to face with the one who made us. When we need to look in to ourselves and recognize, I can't do this on my own. I am not worthy. And we need to recognize that Jesus is worthy and that he can where we can't. None of this matters if we haven't started that relationship with him. And so this morning, this morning, just as we, we're going to sing one last song, and I want to give this opportunity. If you're here this morning and you just, you have something that you want to pray about, you have a situation in your life or the life of somebody you know, somebody you love, and God has laid it on your heart to pray for them and you want prayer, then I would urge you to come forward as we sing. If you want to, if you want to know more about what it means to join a church, be a member, be a part of the community that you see here, so vibrant, so rich, I would urge you to come forward and talk. Have that conversation. If you're here this morning, we had a baptism. If you wonder what baptism is about, what is that symbolized? Why would we do that? If you're here and you don't know that answer, come forward and let's talk. Let's have this conversation. And most importantly of all, if you're here this morning and you don't have that relationship with Jesus and you're going, like, what is that guy talking about? Please come forward. If God is stirring in your heart, and I would tell you this, Sometimes we do an invitation like this and, and you're tempted in your seat to, to sit and look and watch and think, man, there is something wrong with that person. Look, at they're, they're going up there, man, I'm glad I'm not them because they had to go, whatever God's doing with them, they had to go to the front of the church. My answer to you was that you've got it 180 degrees backwards. There is something right going on in that moment when they come to the front of the church. You should be the one praying that God was stirring in your heart the way that he's stirring in theirs when they come forward. You should be wishing that God was working in you in the way that he's working in them in that moment. So this morning, as we close, as we sing, if God has put some, something on your heart and you need to move, I pray that you would take what's going on up here and take what's going on in here and you would move it down here. Put legs to your faith. Don't let this opportunity pass. That's it for today's teaching. 
Hey, here's an idea. Share today's message with a friend or family member. If you're listening from outside our fellowship, we'd love to meet you. Visit graceid.org and hit the contact form to get in touch. We'd also love for you to join us. You can even check us out on Facebook Live by searching Facebook for Grace Church Rupert ID. Learn more and plug in at graceid.org. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Grace Community Church.